0: The number seven is a big deal in the Bible.
1: Yeah, in Biblical Hebrew, yes. the idea of fullness or completeness. And that's something we all long for, but don't often experience. Instead, we find ourselves working endlessly, fighting back chaos with no real rest. Yes.
0: Now keep all that in mind as we turn to Genesis 1 in- It begins with darkness and disorder, but then God speaks to bring about light and order so that life can flourish.
1: And this happens over the course of six days.
0: Each day is marked with the phrase, there was evening and there was morning. But on the seventh day, something special happens. God stops and rests. Right. Creation is brought to its completion on the seventh day. And that phrase, there was evening and there was morning, it doesn't appear on day seven. It's like a day with no end. On the seventh day, God's presence fills his creation. The land provides for all of God's creatures, including humans, who are appointed to rule the world with God forever. Kings and queens
1: of the seventh day rest. I can get into that.
0: But the humans are deceived by a dark power and they forfeit that rest. They're exiled into the wilderness where they have to work as slaves to the land. Until they die and return to the dust from which they came. But God wants to restore humanity back to that seventh day rest. So he chooses to give the family of Israel that experience of ultimate rest so they can
1: share it with others. But how? They are in Egypt, slaves to an oppressive empire who is grinding them into the dust. So God confronts Egypt
0: and He liberates the Israelites, taking them through the darkness and chaos on the way to the promised land.
1: Now while they are on their way, they find themselves in the wilderness. It's easy to get lost. Life is a struggle. They're not in the land of rest yet.
0: But while they're on the way, God invites them in the wilderness to start living as if they're in the promised land. But how do you practice the future rest in the wilderness? Well, God tells them that every seventh day they are to stop their work, or in Hebrew, to Shabbat, so that they can rest and enjoy God's good world. So take a whole
1: day to live as if the ultimate rest has already come.
0: Yeah, this is the Sabbath, celebrated every week on the seventh day. But there's more. The Sabbath is just one of seven festivals that Israel practiced every year, each one anticipating that seventh day rest. That is a lot of sevens. And there's even more. Every seven years, the Israelites were to liberate slaves, forgive debts, and let the land rest for a whole year. And then, every seven times seven years was the ultimate seventh day rest called the year of Jubilee. If anyone had lost their land or gone into debt, all was forgiven, everything restored. Wow, so the Sabbath, these feasts, the year of Jubilee, it's all pointing towards the hope of future rest. Right. Now, when the Israelites went into the land, they forgot their God
1: and so they forfeited their chance for rest in the Promised Land. They're exiled and enslaved again by an oppressive nation, led back into a world of chaos and disorder. But Israel's prophets said that their exile would end one day and that the ultimate
0: jubilee of freedom and rest would come. But generations go by and they're still waiting.
1: It's at this dark point in the story that Jesus appears and he launches his public mission on a Sabbath day.
0: Yeah, he read aloud from the scroll of Isaiah saying that it was time for all captives and slaves to be released because this was the year
1: of the Lord's favor. What did he mean, this is the year of the Lord's favor? He was talking about the ultimate Jubilee. Ah, so Jesus is claiming that seventh-day rest would come through him.
0: Right, he said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath and he confronted disorder and darkness and all of its forms, liberating people from sickness, sin, even from death itself. Yet, Jesus was killed, so even his work was undone. Well, it seemed that way. But notice, Jesus timed his death to take place at the end of the week. His body rested in a tomb during the Sabbath, and on the eighth day, he rose from the dead. Oh wait, the eighth day? You mean the first day of a new week? Exactly. Jesus' resurrection was like the first day of a new creation, where
1: God's light and life broke into the darkness. So because of the resurrection, we have hope in God's promise of future rest. But we're not there yet. It's like we're still in the wilderness, where we experience struggle and pain.
0: But as we journey towards that ultimate seventh day, Jesus invites us to experience a taste of real rest now by following him, or in his words, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest.
2: Morning, everybody. Slow is fast. Slow is fast. That is a phrase that's used by the Navy SEALs. I don't think it started with them, but they've kind of adopted it as a phrase that they use. Basically, they say, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So you apply some basic mathematics and you have, if slow equals smooth and smooth equals fast, then slow equals fast. Doesn't make a lot of sense at face value, but you think about some of the other uh, people throughout history who have said similar things. Augustus Caesar, ruler of Rome, said, hasten slowly. That which has been done well has been done quickly enough. Doc Holliday, the the famous Old West hero, he said, take your time in a hurry. One of his friends, Wyatt Earp, who uh, maybe you've seen the movie Tombstone, kind of a famous, uh, great movie, Kurt Russell, Maybe you've seen the Kevin Costner version. That one's super lame. Don't even bother with that one. <laughs> Tombstone is the one you want to see. But but it kind of uh, tells a bit of the story of this famous Western lawman, the O.K. Corral, all that kind of things. So uh, Wyatt Earp, not known for his amazing uh, quickness, not known for his amazing accuracy, but he was known for his ability to stay focused and stay calm even in the midst of the fight. In fact, he's got some quotes from one of his autobiographies where he says, The most important lesson I learned from the most proficient gunfighters was that the winner usually was the man who took his time. When I say that I learned to take my time, I don't wish to be misunderstood, for the time to be taken was only that split fraction of a second that means the difference between deadly accuracy and a miss. A hip shooter stood small chance to live against a man who took his time. So his legend grows over time, but he... His legend was that in the middle of pure chaos, he could remain steady, remain focused, and remain calm, unfazed by the details. You can call that being in the zone. If you're an athlete and you come from that world, you can call it uh, just being deliberate. You can call it courage under fire. You can call it slow is fast, however you want to say it. For Wyatt Earp, everything was slower, everything was smoother, and the target was all that mattered. So basically, between all these different people from different uh, centuries and periods of time, they discovered that sometimes the speed at which we live Sometimes the speed at which we operate, sometimes the speed at which we work, or even swing a golf club. In the moment, it might seem right to be busy. It might seem right to be moving all the time. It might seem right to always have a full schedule, to be accomplishing something as much as possible. But the reality of many parts of life is that finding a healthy, sustainable pace, finding a healthy, sustainable rhythm is the most effective speed at which we should live. Now, some cool stories in there. You look up the Wyatt Earp thing. Augustus see there's some, there's some cool stories of people through history but in the midst of that I af- I have to ask myself the question do I move at a pace of life that allows me to be so in tune with what's going on around me that life and action and all the details seem to be moving slower maybe even slower for me than everyone else how do I experience this how, not not to win a wild west duel not to take part in a navy seal mission but but to navigate the pressures And the stresses and the pace of everyday life how do we experience something different how do we experience something a little bit more manageable some of you experience this every day and you're wrapping up a year where you've experienced another year of school right and you have that daily grind of school where you find out that sometimes your teachers aren't on the same page and somehow they all give you their biggest assignments on the same day I don't know how that works they need to have a conversation right and so that, that happens, and then you're up early, and you have a long school day, and then you're off to practice, and some of you have another practice after the practice, and then maybe a job on top of that, and homework on top of that, and you get 42 seconds to decompress before it's off to bed late, and you wake up to do it all over again the next morning. That doesn't even include all the social pressure that gets added on top of that schedule, right? Life is a bit crazy for you. Life is hectic for you. The pace is almost unsustainable. Some of you are in the midst of a new career. You haven't earned the good shift yet, right? So your hours are a little bit crazy, a little bit unpredictable. And everything is so new to you. So you're putting in extra hours trying to figure out what normal is for you. And the veterans are there. They've been there and done that, but you're starting from scratch. So it's a little bit different. You're just trying to earn your keep, right? Trying to prove yourself. Or maybe you haven't learned yet how to work smarter. And so life for you is a little bit hectic. It's a little bit fast. It's a little bit chaotic. Almost unsustainable. Some of you are in the midst of starting a new family. Being a newlyweds, fun, right? You You can drop everything at a moment's notice, pack up and go somewhere for the weekend, disappear for a week. You can pretty much do whatever you want, but now there's other people around. They're crawling around breaking things, trying to touch hot stuff and sharp stuff, scream in the middle of the night for no reason. They pee in their bed. They throw up in their bed. They forget to take their lunch, and that's just your husband. That doesn't even doesn't even count all the kids running around, right? Your life is a little bit chaotic. It's a little bit stressful. You guys like that one. (laughs) Uh, Crazy, man. The pace is almost unsustainable. Some of you are at a major transition point. As your kids have gotten older... Maybe you're at your point in your career. What felt like a really successful career, now you're looking at the numbers as retirement gets a little bit closer. You're like, I don't think these numbers are going to add up. And now there's a little bit more stress than there was 10 years ago. Maybe you're feeling good physically, but every trip to the hospital, every trip to the doctor sends you home with another prescription and another reminder of how old you're getting. Your role as a parent, that one wasn't even supposed to be funny. That was supposed to be (laughs) be stressful. Maybe that was a stressful laugh. You're like, (laughs) that's me. Time for that vitamin. (laughs) Sunday, oh (laughs) yeah. Your role as a parent is rapidly changing. For some of you, after 20 years of chasing your kids around, you are having to relearn who this person is that you share a bed with every night. Some of you are starting over. You're single again. You're married again. You live with your parents again. How do you get started, even though you're back where you once were, but it's at a different age, under different circumstances? How do I maintain composure? How do I maintain focus? How do I maintain balance in the middle of a life that feels like a Navy SEAL mission or feels like I'm the Emperor of Rome and there's just chaos all around me, and it's almost an unsustainable pace. How do, I, how do I balance all the things coming at me on a daily and weekly basis? How do I keep the main thing the main thing? How do I maintain integrity? How do I grow in my faith? How do I look anything close to what Jesus wants me to look like? What is available to me in Christ that can put me in a position not just to survive this life, but to thrive in this life? There's an important reminder that I want to hit us with this morning. It's from Matthew chapter 11. So if you want to turn there, um, an important couple of verses that Jesus throws at us as he sees the life that his followers are living, as he sees the life, even in first century, the kind of pace and craziness that they're all experiencing. So Jesus says in Matthew 11:28, he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary. And carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble, and I am gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you weary? Are you carrying heavy burdens? Does it feel like a Wild West version of a life? Is the pace too fast? Are the pressures too great? Is the next step... Unclear. Is the next step a little bit scary? Is your status at home or at work or at school a little bit too uncertain? Are you struggling to experience a faith that you've heard mentors talk about, that you hear Jesus talk about in the New Testament? Jesus says, in the midst of all that, come to me. Get away with me. And this is, it's a little bit of a bold claim because it's almost a little bit too simplistic at, at face value. And there's a there's a quiet confidence in Jesus' invitation here where there's no steps no additional resources piled on top. He says, If you want to experience a life that seems out of reach, a life that includes peace, a life that includes rest, a life that includes a clear head and a clear heart, he says, Come to me. And he says something kind of interesting. He says, My yoke is easy. All right? My, my yoke is easy. What, what does that even mean? Well, there's, a couple different connotations for when he refers to his, the, his yoke being easy and his burden being light. The first one is on the farmer side. We've got some farmers here. I don't know how often you, you lace up a couple oxen and go to work. The, things are a little bit different now, but a yoke was obviously something that would bind together a beast of burden or a, a pair of oxen or a plow horse or s- for some type of hard work. And so initially the yoke refers to the type of hard work that he's calling us to. Let me, let me tell you about the type of work that's involved with following me. But there's another side. There's the side for him as a teacher, him as a rabbi. And for a teacher or rabbi of that time, the yoke would refer to their particular theology, their view of the scriptures, their application of the scriptures for life. But often what would happen was uh, these teachers, they would have a different view of things or interpretation of things, and that would create a new thing that they were calling their followers. So so like there's a yoke here at Fieldstone, right? For example, we love kids, right? So if you're going to be at Fieldstone, you got to be able to uh, interact with kids. They're going to be a little bit noisy sometimes. Sometimes we do services here where we say, hey, we love your kids more than we love you. You're going to have to deal with it. That's part of the yoke of being a part of Fieldstone, right? Or one one of our values is to keep things simple and balanced. So we don't have a ton of things going on all the time. We try to keep things a a decent rhythm where it's easy to know what to do next, right? That's part of the yoke. Of being a part of Fieldstone. And so Jesus was no different, and teachers throughout history were no different. But what would happen was, you have the initial calling that God gives his people. You read through the Old Testament, and already hundreds of things where God said, Hey, if, if you're going to live in a camp, this is what it looks like, right? If somebody gets sick, if they get a rash, if something weird happens, this is how I want you to be. If, if you find yourself in conflict with other people groups, This is how I want you to act. If you find yourself in a situation where you're not sure how to interact with the law, okay, here's the people to talk to. Here's how you handle that situation. All these different ways that God says, here's how you're gonna live in Old Testament Israel and and even going further. Here's my character. Here's what I expect from you. Here's what a follower of the one true God looks like and that is kind of the burden that he gives his people. But then come along a generation later, a teacher of the law, a, a Pharisee, a, a, a minister of some sort, and they say, man, I, I, I see this passage meaning this. And I think that based on what that means, we need to live like this, or change how we do that, or, or tweak something about our way of life. And so then that yoke, that burden, that theology would get placed on top of the original commands that God gave them. Sometimes very positive, right? Sometimes a very good interpretation and application, but yet something new, something in addition to. Maybe not that big of a deal until another couple generations later, another teacher says, man, I am seeing these scriptures in a whole new way in light of how we're living life. I think we need to do X, Y, Z. We need to experience A, B, C. And yet all of a sudden, even something maybe good is another yoke placed on top Of what was already there and you get generation after generation after generation and so jesus shows up on the scene and the people have been living under this heavy burden of life heavy burden of their religion heavy burden of the expectations of generations of great teachers and priests and pharisees some of them maybe most of them well-meaning and yet another burden on top of an already heavy burden and jesus comes and says it's going to be a little bit different this is this is my brand of religion. This is my brand of faith that he's calling us to. And so what's, what's his version of work? What's his version of faith? Well, we see this come up in another conversation that he's in in John chapter 6. And Jesus defines what his yoke means, what his work means, what his faith means. John 6, 29, Jesus tells them, this is the only work god wants from you this is the burden he wants you to bear believe in the one he has sent that's the sentence this is the work god wants from you this is my yoke believe in the one he sent so once again come to me Jesus says. And that Matthew 11 passage where we started, that comes in response to Jesus interacting with people and cities where they wouldn't believe in him no matter how miraculous the healings, no matter how amazing the teaching was. In fact, right after that, they come back and they say, okay, that sounds great. We'll we'll, we'll come follow you. But one more miracle I think would help. You've fed 4,000. Would you feed me? Right? You got got something for me. You got a miracle for me. You got something that's going to impress me. And then maybe I'll jump on. And so he turns to those who would listen and says, come to me, believe in me, believe in who I claim to be, believe what I'm capable of doing in your life. And so if you have never, in belief, surrendered your heart and life to Jesus, put your trust in his death and resurrection, then you are navigating the pace and the pressures of life exactly the same way everyone else is navigating them, all alone, bearing the burdens that are thrust on you. And yet a very simple, profound offer is given. Repent of your sin. Recognize your need for a Savior. Believe in Jesus. And all of a sudden, something becomes available to you that's far better than navigating an Old West duel. That's what the world calls you to. That's what the world is forcing you into, dragging you into. That kind of a pace, that type of chaos, that kind of stress. And Jesus draws us into something different. He draws us into something better. He just says, come to me. No strings attached. You might say, that's fine, Justin, but that doesn't change my reality. That doesn't change the schedule for the next week. That doesn't change the things that I'm responsible for. That doesn't change the decisions that I have to make and the emotions that I experienced over the last week. There's still this family situation and this daily grind. There's still this change I'm navigating. Even if I believe, I still have to deal with life. I'd say, okay, let's get a little bit more concrete. I think we need to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Well, what are his footsteps? Well, 1 Peter 2.21, Peter says, He, Jesus, is your example. You must follow in his steps. So what were Jesus' steps? How did he handle all these same types of pressures, same types of stresses, same type of life situations? Well, uh, Luke chapter 4, he was preparing for a major task. He's about to set out for his public ministry. He knows why he's here. He knows his mission. He knows his calling. And now it's time to leave the carpentry, leave everyday life, and go set out to what God has called him to do with the next three years. And so what does he do? He gets baptized, and he's about to start his ministry. He leaves and disappears into the wilderness to spend time alone with God. In the midst of the the preparations for a major task, Jesus needed to slow down, rest, take a breath, and spend time with God. How about coming out of a season of hard work, right? You, you, you got a lot done. There's a lot of things going on. And now you're coming out of that and you're not feeling great, right? And all of a sudden, no, oh, I think I think we're hitting the second service today. I don't think we're going to make it, right? And so all of a sudden, things are a little bit crazy. In Mark 6, Jesus is coming out of one of those seasons. In fact, he had just sent his disciples out two by two for their first chance to practice what he had been teaching them, right? He Go, teach what I've been teaching heal, I give you all authority, go do your thing, and then they come back. It's been a long journey, a difficult task for them, and he pulls them aside. They spend time together, just their group, alone with Jesus and his Father. Coming out of a season of hard work, Jesus taught them how to slow down, how to take a breath, how to rest, and spend time with God. Sometimes we go through seasons of grief, often overwhelming. In Matthew 14, Jesus got word that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been killed, and Jesus is feeling it. So what did he do in that moment, in that moment of grief, in that moment of heavy, heavy emotions? He went away by himself. In the midst of his emotions, in the midst of his loss, he needed to slow down, rest, take a breath, and get away with God. How about an important decision to make? Sometimes we find ourselves in those situations where we're at a crossroads, a major decision that's going to affect me, my family, maybe my career, all these different things. Jesus was getting ready in Luke chapter 6 to choose his 12 disciples, right? Those who would become the inner circle, who would hear the most, experience the most, have the most intimate relationship with him, and ultimately be sent out throughout the known world to take his gospel to the people who needed it. And so before he, spends that, before he makes that decision, he spends the entire night before in prayer. And then the next day, he chose his 12 disciples. In the, in the midst of a major decision, Jesus decided to slow down, take a breath, rest, and spend time with God. In Luke 22, Jesus experiences a, a season of fear major distress he is hours away from being arrested and he knows exactly what's about to happen he knows exactly what he's going to go through and experience so what does he do in that moment facing distress and fear he went away to the mount of olives took some of his disciples but then he separated even from his disciples and he he just took some time in the midst of the emotions to get away to process what was coming and spend time with God. There's other examples where Jesus needed just to have a time where he focused on prayer. Luke 5 is one example where, it, it, like many times, he, he had just wanted to spend some time alone in prayer, where his relationship with God was more important than anything else in his life. It didn't matter how much needed to be done. didn't matter what he was facing. didn't matter what the expectations were. didn't matter what the emotions were. He needed to slow down, get away, rest, take a breath, and spend time with God? Are you picking up on the theme of how Jesus responded to all the various seasons and emotions and stresses and pressures and decisions of life? Let's get really practical, right? Because what does that look like for us? I've got three ideas, challenges, encouragements, however you want to take it, um, different levels that we can get away. Whether this is something new for you or something that uh, you need to revisit. First thing I'd say is every day, every day, build in 20 minutes of quiet, rest, little bit of prayer, little bit of scripture. Just you, no, no stimulus, right? Phone away, music away, device away. Maybe this is on your commute. Some of you have a long enough commute where you could take 20, 30 minutes and just have some quiet and give yourself a few moments where God can speak in your decisions speak into your stress speak into your emotions respond to some of the things that you've been saying to him just 20 minutes of quiet a little mini version of getting away every day 20 minutes every day second thing I challenge you to do is every week carve out one day when you're not working okay one day when you're not working And sometimes yard work is stressful, sometimes it's not. I know I love my hour or two on the the lawnmower every week. That's kind of de-stress for me. So I'm not talking about don't necessarily do anything. I'm talking about your job, your career, that thing that keeps chiming your phone, that email, that text thread, right, that thing that you usually just want to run to and take care of. I'm talking about a day where you're not checking work email, you're not responding to the work text, you're not working one day a week. Carve out that day. It's how you were designed to operate. And the third thing I say is this. Every time something significant happens in your life, could be a good thing, could be a bad thing, could be a new season, could be a major change, could be something emotional, it could be a major decision that you're facing. Every time something significant happens in your life, take an extra day off or more and take that time to process, to let it breathe, to pray over that situation, to seek wisdom, wisdom, From God, wisdom from others. So 20 minutes a day, one day a week, and every time something significant happens in your life, follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Get yourself away. Take a breath. Get some rest and spend time with God. I think what you'll find in Jesus' life is that in the very moments where seemingly more is required of him, more work, more energy, more investment, more time, more teaching, more healing, more working with people. In those moments where it feels like there's more required of him, those are the moments when he does the exact opposite. He steps away, he withdraws, and instead of focusing on what's in front of him, he focuses on his relationship with his father. And then, out of that, he comes back and steps into life, experiences a different pace, a different way, a different rhythm. Matthew 11, one more time, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary, all of you who are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give rest. Take my yoke upon you. Take my teaching upon you. He says, take my version of faith upon you, my version of work upon you, and let me teach you because I'm humble. I'm gentle at heart and you'll find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light it's an offer and it's a promise let's pray God we all have uh, those moments those seasons God some of us have that life that's just a bit out of control It's crazy, it's hectic, it's stressful, it's emotional. God, things come our way. We ride the roller coaster of life like everybody else. And yet, God, you have given us a promise that in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the speed, in the midst of the burdens, you offer something different. You offer something better. God, in the midst of it all, may we give up the chase for what the world is pulling us towards, what the world seemingly requires of us. And God, may we embrace what you are offering time with you, a life lived at your pace, a life lived your way, and a faith that's so much different because of that. God, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a great afternoon. See ya.